Amen. We stand amazed at His presence, at His mercy, that He's able. Amen. I'm thankful that I serve a God who's able to do something. Amen. Many times in Scripture, the Lord speaks and, and says, look, look at the things that you're serving. You're serving these rocks and stones and look at, look at what you're worshiping. And it can't hear, it can't respond, it can't see, it can't do anything. And yet you give all this time, this energy, this effort. And it can do nothing for you. But I stand here today knowing, believing in a God who can do all things. And if they're willing to do all of that for something they can't even respond, how much more should I do towards a God who can respond, who can heal, who can deliver, who can set free? He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my glory. He's worthy of my honor, of everything that I can give to Him because He is able. He is greater today. Oh, come on, let's give Him praise one more time in this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's great to be in the house of the Lord today. Thank you to all of our guests for being here today. We're so glad that you have joined with us in worship. Amen. And I'm believing for what the Lord is doing, what He's going to continue to do. I'm glad for all those, thankful for all those the Lord has filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized this year. Amen. A lot of those were in our kids' church. I'm thankful that God's filling our children with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 2 today. I think after seeing the moves on the screen, he got those from somewhere. From church. From Judy, from Gary, I'm hearing all kinds of things here. Yeah, that's from Gary. <laughs> Amen. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 2 today, reading uh, the first 12 verses of this chapter. It's a story it took place in Jesus' ministry. It says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. That just means four people carried him. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, and reasoning in their hearts, uh, uh, saith, What doth this man thus speak blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts, whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before all of them, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. 
We never saw it on this fashion. And this morning, I'd like to preach to you for a short while. When the roof falls in, when the roof falls in, let's join together in prayer one more time this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you, thankful to be in your presence, thankful for your spirit that we feel. And Lord, I believe you and trust you that as your word goes forth, it will find its mark in our hearts and lives. Lord, we open ourselves to you, believing and trusting you, God, that your word would challenge and encourage us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. When the roof falls in, <laughs> this passage that we read, it relates to us the story of a paralyzed man whose four friends bring him to be healed by Jesus. They come to the house where Jesus is, and upon arrival, it says they, came not, they, they could not come nigh unto him for the press. That just means the house was packed where Jesus was, and they couldn't get in. But upon seeing the crowd, they were not going to be stopped by the crowd. So they climb onto the roof of the house and they begin to break through. And once they have broken through the roof, they lower the man down to Jesus. And Jesus responds to their actions and the man is healed that day and also forgiven that day. And as we look at this story, that's just a, a quick summary of the story that we read, but as we look at this story, as the roof begins to fall in on the crowd gathered there that day, we catch a glimpse of several individuals or groups that are found in this story that I would like to talk to you about. And in this story, the first individual that we find and where every story in Scripture must begin it, 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 we find that in the passage where it states in chapter uh, 2, verse 1, it says that he was in the house, that Jesus was in the house. And in every story in Scripture, the first thing we must consider is where is Jesus in the story? And we read that he was in the house that day. And this is important because you and I know that when Jesus is in the house, when Jesus is present, then anything can happen in that house that day. I'm thankful that I'm in a place where Jesus is today. I'm thankful I'm in a place where His Spirit is moving, where I can feel His touch, where I know that Jesus is in the house today. And because of that, I know that in this moment, in this place today, anything can happen today. I know that Jesus can heal today. I know that He can deliver today. I know that Jesus can save today. And all that's required is for Jesus to be present in the house. Make no mistake that everything revolves around Jesus being in the house. I know we practice and we have all kind of things we try and put together, but the most important thing that can happen here today is for Jesus Christ to show up in the house because unless He is here, unless He moves, unless He touches, we're just gathered here today for a good time. But I want Jesus to be in the house today. There's a lot of people in society today and even within the church world today who would like you to think that you can bypass the fact that Jesus needs to be in the house. There's a lot of people who would like you to believe that you can get to the end result of this story without Jesus. That you can program your way to a miracle. That you can uh, be culturally relevant enough to receive a miracle. That you can do all kind of things to get a miracle in your life. To see things happen in your community. But let me remind Remind you today from the start that the only way to have anything happen, the only way for God to be glorified, the only way for something new to happen is for it to all start out with Jesus being in the house. Without Him, He's the central character. Without Him, the story cannot be completed. 
And let me tell you, if there's anything that should be our desire as a church in our, in our community, if there's anything that should be our ambition or our goal, is that this community would know where they can find Jesus. You see, because it was noised abroad that Jesus was in a certain house, that he was in a particular location. And I know that Jesus, in, in, he's not bound by a particular location. I know that geography is nothing to God. I know he's not confined by those kind of things. But I want our community to know if they need prayer, this is the place they need to come to. If they need a miracle, this is the place they need to come to. Why? Because Jesus is in this house. Jesus is present here. If I realize that sin has torn my life apart, I want them to know this is a place for the sinner to find salvation. This is the place for those that are lost to be found. I want Jesus to know, be known in this house. <laughs> and we know what kind of house Jesus likes. <laughs> he tells us, he says, you've done this to my house, but my house should be called, what? A house of prayer. I think it's important for us to realize that there is no way for Jesus to be in this house except to be house of prayer. Unless prayer is made in this place, unless we offer up our prayers to God, that Jesus cannot be Lord of this house. There can be a whole lot of things about Jesus. There can be a whole lot of things said about Jesus in this place. But unless we have prayer, God cannot dwell in a place that His house is not made of prayer. You can't come to this place. You can't have people walk through the doors and know that Jesus is here without prayer. You can't have people's lives change without there being prayer made in this house house I want this to be a church that changes this community I want to see hearts transformed in this community I want to see lives radically altered in this community and I can't see that happen unless this is a house of prayer the first person that we must look to in this story when we see that the roof begins to fall in is Jesus we must remember that Jesus is central to everything that Jesus is the main part of everything the second thing we must realize about Jesus is that nothing phases Jesus. <laughs> We're going to get into a little bit of between the lines in this story because it's kind of a crazy story when you begin to look at it. But we don't read where Jesus bats an eye at what's taking place. In fact, in the story that is relayed in Luke, that's a similar, that's the same story. Luke relays it, and he said they let the man down on a couch, which just is a better image of a guy actually laying on a couch. <laughs> Coming down through the ceiling. <laughs> I know it wasn't a full-size couch. Was it a love seat maybe? No, I don't know. But he's lowered down and Jesus just stands there. <laughs> I was reminded, well, because it just seems commonplace to Jesus. And I don't know if you've seen the farmer's insurance commercials at all. Everyone ever seen farmer's insurance commercial? You might know the tune, We Are Farmers. dun 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 That, right? But the thing about the commercials is that they tell you all these crazy things that have happened. They take you through the museum of all the crazy things that have, that have happened uh, that, that there's been insurance claims for. And if you're ever bored, that's what you should look up is crazy insurance claims. There's some crazy stuff out there. But the thing is, is there's nothing that you can do that can happen to you and to your car, to your house that we haven't seen before. It doesn't shock us. It's not surprising to us because we've seen hot air balloons hit cars. We've seen all kinds of things happen. And there's nothing that can happen that won't surprise us. And it just reminds me of Jesus. <laughs> Farmer's insurance reminds No, maybe, yeah. Maybe it should be the other way around. 
But Jesus isn't phased. All of a sudden, this, this uh, bed is lowered with this man on it, whatever uh, sort of contraption they had rigged together. This man is lowered, and Jesus is just there. Let me say that nothing you do can phase Jesus. He's seen it all. He's seen every sin. He's seen every desperate person. He's seen every situation. He's seen every sickness. And nothing you can do can phase Jesus. You're not going to bring him anything that shocks him, that makes him confused, that makes him wonder what I can do with this life. No. Jesus. Jesus knows how to make every life new. He knows how to make a new creature out of every man and every woman. He knows how to take every situation and turn it around. He knows how to take every sorrow and turn it into joy. Jesus Christ is not phased by what you have to offer. We find a few other people and groups of people that are mentioned in Scripture here in this passage. We turn our attention quickly to the friends of the paralyzed man. These guys were integral to the whole story. They created the whole story. These four men were the cause of the paralyzed man's miracle. Now, we don't know much about these men except that there were four of them. We don't really know their relationship to the man. We don't know if they were family, if they were friends, if, if they just knew about this guy and thought he really needs a healing. We don't know much about them at all. All we do know about them is that they were determined to see this man healed. There was a determination, no matter their relationship, how close they were or not, there was a determination that this man needs to get to Jesus. And these four men, I, I understand, they take us down a fine line uh, of, of what's right and what's wrong because we realize that, that it's not by our might or by our power, but it's only by the Spirit of God. And, and we know that nobody can come to God unless the Spirit draws them. We understand that. But honestly, if we, as sometimes we uh, use those, those verses and sometimes we use them in an incorrect context. We quote those and say, well, nobody comes to God unless the Spirit draws them in. It's, it's not by our might or our power. We can't make anyone do anything. And really, that's an incorrect context because really at that point, they become excuses for our inaction. Those verses were not given. It's not by might or by power, but by God's Spirit to say, I don't have to do anything. It, the, the verse isn't given that no one comes to God unless the Spirit draws him. For me, just to sit back and let the Spirit draw them and I just watch what happens. No, there's a fine line. I know sometimes we just like to save everyone. <laughs> I know sometimes, maybe it's not about salvation, we just like to lay our hands on them. <laughs> Give them a good apostolic shakedown. I understand that there's only a certain point that we can take people to. But there's something that we must gather there that they, their action was involved in this miracle. Is that they had faith to do something about the situation. They believed God enough for something to take place within their own lives. And we read this simple statement that describes the lesson that we gather from these four men. And it's actually speaking about Jesus, but the lesson that we get is from His words. It says, when Jesus saw their faith... When Jesus saw their faith. You see, there was a moment when these four men were confronted with a choice. They reached the place where they knew that this guy could receive a miracle. They were taking him to the one place they heard that Jesus was in the house. And they knew if Jesus was in the house, anything could happen. So they go to the house. But when they get to the house, they can't get in the house. There was people hanging out the doors, out the windows. There was people everywhere. And they're faced with a choice. And it was a choice of degrees, really. Because the choice they had to make was, to what degree will my faith take me? 
how far will my faith go? Now understand, if those men would have got to the door that day carrying that guy, and they would have got there and said, you know what, the, crowd, the crowd's too much, we can't make it, would they have had faith that day? They would have. Why? Because they believed that Jesus was the answer. They took him to the right place. They knew what they needed to do. They didn't just leave the guy there. No, they took him to the house. They had faith. They could have left that day and been counted as people that had faith. It was degrees of faith. And how far will my faith take me? Because their faith was not willing to say, I'm settling for staying at the door. I'm settling for leaving, and this is all I could get. When they saw they could not get in, they had a choice to make. And they decided, the faith inside of them said, no, there's something more that we can do. There's something more that we must do. There's some place that we can go that we never thought of before. If they would have got to the door, they would have been counted as people that had faith. Yet they would have gone unnoticed. There would have been no healing that day of that man. There would have been no miracle that day. In fact, we probably wouldn't even read the story. The day the four men showed up and nothing happened. That's not a story. <laughs> At least not a very good story. <laughs> it's like when you forget the punchline. <laughs> or someone tells you a story and you're waiting for the next part. And like, no, that's it. Okay. Thanks for... Uh, Thanks for uh, the time you took there. Never get that back. But they are faced with the decision of how far their faith would push them. And let me remind you of this fact. That Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. I believe that Jesus is looking for faith. Now, I do not believe that this is in reference to spiritual eyesight, that God is searching your heart for faith, that God is searching whether you believe that He can do it. Because in this story, Jesus actually saw a man being lowered. He actually saw the faith of those four men. I believe that Jesus is actually looking for a demonstration physically of your faith. James chapter 2 states it this way, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You want to know if I believe that Jesus is a healer? Then when I'm sick, I'm going to pray that he heals me. If you want to know if Jesus is a Savior, no, I'm going to point the way to Jesus Christ because I know that he is a Savior. These men were not content with just believing that God was a healer. No, they were willing to show their faith that there was something more that they could do they demonstrated their belief that God could heal by their actions that nothing was going to stop them getting to Jesus <clears throat> I wonder what would happen in my life if all of a sudden what I said I believed suddenly could be seen if everything that I said I believed about God, about what God wants to do in my life and through me and in this church and through this church, what if all of a sudden you didn't have to ask me about it, but you could see it taking place in my own life? How would that change? I wonder what would happen when I, all of a sudden situations begin to confront me that seem out of control and people don't have to wonder if I believe in God. No, the way I respond to a situation demonstrates that I have faith in God, that they can see my faith through every obstacle, through every situation, through every trial. The decision points in my life, faith would suddenly propel me and push me beyond. <laughs> you see, this kind of faith... <clears throat> Again, we don't know what these guys were like. 
For all we know, these guys could have been in the Jerusalem X Games. I don't know if you've ever seen the X Games or the Winter X Games. Those guys do crazy things. They're doing flips and all this kind of stuff, and they, they do crazy, crazy things. Stuff that I would never do. At one point when we were gone, my oldest son said, are you going to do a flip? I said, that's the dumbest question. I didn't say that. Pretty close. I am not going to do a flip. I am too old to do a flip. <laughs> and I'm too old how to learn to do a backflip. <laughs> I've gone past the point. I'm at the age where I don't say, watch this anymore. I'm going to be laid up for weeks after everyone watches. <laughs> it's not the going up even, it's just the landing. I can't stick the landing anymore. <clears throat> so I don't know what kind of guys these were. If these were the outgoing crazy guys. But I, I don't think that these were guys who under normal circumstances went around tearing up people's roofs. I don't think they normally did that. I don't think when people saw them coming saying, everyone watch out for your roof, they're going to tear it up. Nobody was on the lookout for these. They were not known for tearing up roofs. Yet in this circumstance, their faith drove them beyond the normal reaction and response that they had. And let me tell you, there's people I know you've been in situations and you know that the way that you normally respond is not going to cut it this time. There's going to be some more fasting. There's going to be some more prayer. And our faith becomes seen when we are pushed beyond what we normally do, how we normally respond. And all of a sudden our faith says, no, you've got to do more. Your faith has to be seen. There's got to be something accompanying what you, what you believe. There's got to be something happening. So what does that look like in my life? If all of a sudden I have faith that is visible, instead of believing that a hundred soul revival can happen in this church, what would my actions look like if I really believed it? If I really believed that every sinner needs to walk through that door because the power of God can change their life, what would it look like if I begin to act on what I said I believed? What would happen if I truly believed that God was able to do all things, that I could trust Him, that I could believe Him in every circumstance? What would my life look like? like if I really started acting that way. You know what? I believe God is challenging us for our faith, not just to be words anymore, but He wants our faith to be seen. I believe God is looking for a seen faith. He's looking for the, the bed to be lowered down because it goes more than beyond. I believe that God can heal. It goes, no, God's going to heal today. God's going to heal in this moment. God's going to do something in my life today. Right now, I believe, and I'm going to act on that belief. Nothing's going to phase God, so let me remind you, your faith won't get too crazy for God. God's never said, oh man, they went too far that time. Now there may be people that say, man, that's a little bit crazy, I'm not sure if that's right. But your faith will never get too crazy for God. God will never say, oh, you shouldn't have tore up that roof trying to get to me. No, it's never too crazy for God. If you're desperate enough, God is always willing to accept your desperation and your faith. I wonder what would happen if our faith would take us to a point of desperation where we see, uh, where we begin to say, God, we can't just keep praying about it, although that's important, but I've got to start doing something. I've got to start being something. I've got to start putting some actions behind my faith. <laughs> and let me remind you that four people that day, 
Everyone else showed up to hear Jesus preach. Four people didn't show up to hear Jesus preach. They showed up for their friend to get healed. And let me tell you this, because of four people's faith, the whole crowd didn't have to be involved. Not everyone had to be on board with the plan. They didn't call a committee together and say, well, do you think we should tear up the roof? No, because of four people that day, verse 12 states that everybody that was there, every single person that was there, they said, we've never seen anything like this before. I wonder what would happen if just a few people would get a hold of faith, a desperate faith, and all of a sudden, every Everybody begins to say, man, we've never seen God move this way. We've never seen a revival like this. We've never seen people pour through the doors like this. Just because some people allowed their faith to be seen in this place. There were some men that were willing to let their faith drive them beyond belief and words, but to action. This passage also, though, gives us some insight into another group there that day. These were the smart people there that day. These were the reasoners, the scribes, the reasoners. There were some who left knowing that they had experienced something divine. But there was also some in the crowd who showed up with a different mindset. They left knowing that they had seen something they'd never seen before, but they weren't quite sure of it either. Verse 6 tells us, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. I think this is important for us to see, is that Jesus responded to their heart. He was looking for faith. He was physically looking for faith, but he also saw every heart. And he responded to their hearts. Now, we can, we can maybe gather that there was some murmuring in the corner amongst themselves, but Scripture does not say that he, respond, he heard what they said and responded to it. It says that his spirit caught a hold of what was in their heart, and that's what he responded to. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Jesus knew that the words were not what he needed to address. He knew the issues were issues of the heart. And so he began to address their heart. No matter what they looked like on the outside, he said, I can see your heart. (laughs) This seems real simple to remind you of today, but God knows your heart. He knows your heart. The person sitting next to you may not know anything about what's going on inside of you, but make no mistake, God can see your heart right now. He knows what's going on in there, and let me remind you too. Uh, Jesus had this ability, and this is why I think sometimes we look and say, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful, but I don't really think we'd want some of what we read of in Scripture. We don't really want Paul to be our pastor. He did, he did commit some people to Satan. He said, I'm going to give your soul to Satan. Now, there may be some words that you don't like come from Brother Gene's mouth. But I, I'm pretty sure that he hasn't said, you know what I'm going to do to you? I'm just going to pray that you get the devil just takes hold of your life. I'm just going to commit you to Satan for a while. See how you like that. Uh, he, probably, he may have prayed it, but he hasn't told you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and sometimes while we like to be nice because we're Christians, so we're supposed to be nice, right? <laughs> Jesus is not afraid to deal with your issue. 
It would have been so easy in that setting because it's all inside. Jesus did not have to respond. Nobody stood up and said, by the way, Jesus, I don't agree with what you're doing. That bed should not have been lowered. Look at the roof. What is all this going on? Something happened in somebody's heart, and Jesus was not afraid to address the unspoken issues. You better make sure that your heart is right, because if not, God will address your issues whether you like it or not. God is willing to deal with you. I'm thankful that he's willing to deal with my heart. I'm thankful that he's not, he doesn't just gloss over, but he wants to transform my heart. He wants to do something, a work inside of my life that truly transforms me. <laughs> Let me remind you, too, that when Jesus is moving, when something's happening, that's not the time to sit back and begin to question and start reasoning in your heart. He doesn't do things all the time like I think he should. This is the tough part of this story. Because I can handle Jesus not doing it my way because I've got verses that say his ways are higher than my ways and he knows the times and the seasons so I can just go to trust. But sometimes I don't like the way other people... (laughs) That is the real problem. I don't like the way other people get to Jesus. You see, I came early. I heard that Jesus was coming and I came on time. I showed up and I made it into the house. And now these guys, these four jokers, are going to tear up the ceiling to get to Jesus. You see, they had a problem with everyone else. Let me just tell you, there is no right way to come to the Lord. Now, I know there's a certain way I think people should come because I've been in church for so long and I know this is what you should do and this is how you should do it and this is what you got to have together and this is the correct procedure. But let me remind you, if I'm going to believe that God begins to pull on the hearts, then that heart may respond different than mine. But as long as it comes to the feet of Jesus, I need to learn how to be all right with that person coming to the feet of Jesus. I may not approve. I may not have have it all figured out. But I've got to make sure if who's Whosoever wants to come, I better make sure they're welcome as long as they find the feet of Jesus. And let me tell you today, it doesn't matter how you come. You may come in the wrong way, but as long as you find the feet of Jesus, you've accomplished all that you need to accomplish today. You need to find yourself at His feet, no matter what it takes, no matter how you get there. Make sure you find yourself at the feet of Jesus. It just reminds you, just like people say, if you don't vote, you can't complain. So I started voting. I wanted to complain. (laughs) Don't ask me who I voted for, but I voted, so I'm going to (laughs) complain. Let me just remind you, if you're not going to worship, don't criticize someone else who is. If you're not going to pray in the altar, don't criticize someone else and how they're praying in the altar. If you're not going to give, don't you criticize someone else. You better make sure you get your heart right. You better make sure that you find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Let me tell you, though, here's the great thing. As those Pharisees and scribes that day, here's how merciful Jesus is. As any time you want to get involved, you can do it. It doesn't matter how skeptical or how much you've complained or how much you've murmured. As soon as you want to get involved, just kneel at his feet. Just find yourself at the feet of Jesus today. 
we have the central character of Jesus. When he's here, anything can happen. So get in the house. We find the four men who were desperate enough to let their faith drive them beyond the normal. Who were willing for their faith to be seen. They were willing for their reputation, for rebuke, for anything to happen. But they knew they had to get to Jesus. And then we find the scribes, the reasoners, who just contemplated in their heart, which is a warning to you and I. But we do find another individual in this story. There is another character in this story. This character is not one that's mentioned by name. In fact, there's no mention made of them at all. Nothing is said about this person. They are a silent participant in the story. As I was thinking about this story, I began to imagine the scene unfolding in my head. As, as word begins to spread throughout the community, throughout the town of Capernaum, that Jesus is in the house, people begin to slowly trickle into the house where Jesus is. At first, there's just a few people coming, but before long, the trickle becomes a flow and people are pouring into the house that was there. Some have a sense of decency and order. Some try to do it in some orderly fashion. But pretty soon the crowd has grown so large that it's impossible for decency and order to remain. And, and politeness is lost for a while as people begin to jostle and push each other, each pressing in, trying to find the best spot where they can see and hear what Jesus has to say that day. Jesus finally gets up as the crowd is pressed together. Who knows how, they, how close they were to Jesus, but every nook, every cranny, every window ledge, every doorway is crammed full of people. People just straining to hear, to see what's going on. And Jesus stands up and he begins to preach to the crowd. And as he opens service, the crowd settles down as they all shake hands and take a seat. Silence begins to fall as shh, shh, shh goes through the crowd. Because there's no microphone there, there's no amplification, so they all fall silent as they each strain to hear every word of this man who has burst onto the scene with miracles and teachings. They hang on his words, captured by what he is saying, lost in the moment, hearing only the words of Jesus. In the back, there's still a little bit of scuffling and noise as People still are showing up, but they realize that they can't get in, that they're too late, that they've missed the chance to get in to hear Jesus. They really can't be apart. And as Jesus is teaching a, a few people, they begin to notice some strange noises overhead. But most either they don't hear it or they just ignore it. Suddenly new noises are heard. This grabs more people's attention. As people wonder what is taking place. Why are the kids going to the bathroom right now? People are trying to listen to Jesus, but the noise gets louder and louder. And some people actually begin to feel things drop on their head as, as they begin to look around wondering where it comes from. And the noise continues to grow louder and louder, in fact. Now people are more than whispering, they're talking to, to each other, murmuring what is taking place, some staring up towards the noise. One person is especially concerned with the noise from the roof. As he looks up, the concern grows as he sees larger pieces of the roof falling in. Don't worry, none of that's going to happen today. 
While not everyone has noticed what is taking place, suddenly everyone realizes what is happening as large pieces of the roof begin to fall down on the crowd and all of a sudden a beam of light shines into the darkened room. Light where there was darkness. We don't know where it hit. A gas goes up as an ever-increasing hole opens up and now attention is no longer on Jesus but on what is happening on the roof. The crowd is not just a silent murmuring one now, but people are pointing. People are trying to get out of the way now, wondering what in the world is taking place. And there's one individual especially in shock. He's in shock. He, he may have tried to get out of the crowd and he begins pointing and tries to push his way, but he realizes there's no way. There's nothing he can do to get out to see what's going on. So all he can do is stand and watch with the rest of the crowd as the scene unfolds in the whole increasingly gets bigger and bigger. All of a sudden, a stretcher blocks the light as it is lowered through the ceiling and a man lands at the feet of Jesus. While everyone in the house was in confusion, while everyone was in shock, while everyone was questioning what was going on, while Jesus is calm as a cucumber, just <laughs> seen a thing or two, this one person has a completely different perspective than everyone else there. No one else has his perspective. The difference with this one person, this one person, is that it was his roof. It was his roof. Most feel that the homeowner, the place where Jesus was staying, was actually Peter, as this was the place where Peter, uh, where Jesus usually went where he came, when he came to Capernaum. So that being the case, and Peter being the homeowner, I can just imagine Peter standing there and knowing his personality as it first begins to happen. This guy's probably getting really ticked off. He was cussing right before he got the Holy Ghost up to the moment. Imagine what he's doing right now. It's just Mark chapter 2. Can you imagine what would be happening if it happens at your house? Now, I did have someone fall through my roof and create a big hole, but it wasn't such a big deal because I'd already cracked all the ceiling, pulling out another wall that was a little bit of a more, more supporting wall. <laughs> but just think about this. There was one man with a different perspective because it was his roof. When all the crowds left that day, rejoicing in the miracle, saying we have never seen anything like that. While Jesus waltzed out the front door, talk, and everything was, all the scribes, the doubters, everyone left. They've all had this amazing experience. There's one man left staring at a hole. What did he do that night? Who fixed it? I'd have found the four guys. I'd have sent them the bill. Whose responsibility was it? Was it the homeowners? I've also learned that when a tree falls in your property, even though it's not on, it doesn't grow on your property, it's now your property. <laughs> when everyone left rejoicing over the miracle, never forget that the miracle cost somebody something that day. Never forget that there's a price that still has to be paid. 
for all of the wonder that we have, and there should be wonder, and there should be rejoicing. There, there should be all of that. There should be rejoicing today at what God has done, the people that have been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, that God is still moving, that God is still touching. But I want to remind you this morning that for everything that God does, for every miracle that He performs, for every life that He saves, it costs somebody something. It costs somebody a Saturday morning prayer meeting. It costs somebody a day of fasting. It costs somebody coming early on a Sunday morning and praying. It costs someone, someone in their prayer closet somewhere praying that God would do something. It costs somebody something to see that miracle happen. And I want to remind you this morning, amidst all of these things, that serving the Lord and seeing seeing miraculous things in your life, that Jesus may cost you something in your life. You see, because when Peter invited Jesus into his house that day, there may have been a whole lot of things that he thought about. He may have considered what kind of food we're going to serve. Is the house clean? Where's Jesus going to sleep? I wonder what he's going to teach. This is going to be a miraculous thing. I can't believe Jesus is here. What's going to happen? But I guarantee that he never considered when Jesus walks out my door, my house is going to be ripped up. He never thought that when he leaves, I'm going to be looking up at the sky through my house. The miracle was for someone else, too. You see, I'm willing to go the extra mile for my miracle. I'm willing to go the extra mile for my family. I'm willing to go the extra mile and pray a little bit harder. But what happens when God requires of me something more, and I don't even get the end result of what God is going to do? What if God uses my stuff? What if God messes up my house and I'm not even the recipient of what God wants to do? And all I have is a mess to clean up. (laughs) You see, here it is. You see, when the roof starts to fall in, it reveals something. It reveals why I'm here. It reveals my heart. You see, really it answers this question. It answers this unspoken question in the story. Why am I here? Am I here for my house or his kingdom? Am I here for my house or his kingdom? Because when it's my house, all of a sudden I've got a problem with Jesus. But when it's for his kingdom, the sacrifice is the same as if it was for me. The cost is the same as if it was for me. Because it's for his kingdom. I close this morning as the music comes. Make no mistake this morning that when my house is built upon God, when Jesus is the cornerstone, He's going to bless my house. He's going to bless my family. If that's not how your house is built, you need to make sure that's how it's built. But know too that if my house is built on God, if that is my cornerstone, then the fine print in that, the unspoken in that, is what it really means that if I'm built on Him, then He really has the right to come in and rearrange my house too. And really, if we're honest, that's the part we don't like. You see, the roof represents something in our lives. You may have said before when your kids are complaining or doing whatever kids do, asking you why you, if you're going to do a flip. 
Or maybe you've said it in some form or fashion. I've put a roof over your head. Or at least we have a roof over our head. I've never said or heard said, at least we have walls around our house. I've never heard it said, at least we have a floor. It's always, at least we have a roof over our heads, right? That's the saying. And that roof represents something. It represents security. It represents protection. It's why when you're building something, you're concerned about getting it closed in. So that when it rains, it doesn't get inside. Well, how do you get, keep the rain from getting inside? You put a roof on it. It, it, it symbolizes protection. It sy- symbolizes stability, a place of refuge. That even when you're out in the wilderness, and you've got to build a shelter, and all you've got is a few things, what are you going to build? I'm going to put a comfortable floor. I'm going to put some walls. No, the first thing you want is something over your head to protect you from the sun or the rain or the elements. That's what it represents. It speaks to our life of being maybe not all that we have, want it to be, but it speaks to a certain level of comfort and assurance. That's the places... My comfort, my assurance, my protection, my security, my stability. That's the place where Jesus likes to walk in. The crowds gather. Stuff happens. And when he leaves, after he spoke, I'm looking up and saying, Lord, I built that. Lord, I had that in place for a reason. Don't you know why? Now I've got, I've got to get stuff together. Peter wasn't ready to fix his roof that night, I'm pretty sure. I'm never ready to fix my roof. What happens when your roof leaks? you got to go find the stuff to fix it. I don't just sit in my chair and on the side table next to me, I've got all the stuff to fix my roof. If you do, your house has issues. let me tell you, there's people that sit here today, and I know we can talk about the sky falling in, I'm not talking about that, but there's people who are sitting here today that you're starting to see bits of your roof fall in. I'm not saying that your world's collapsing, I'm saying that Jesus has come in your life, and he's starting to mess things up a little. You've got it all sorted, and that doesn't mean it's wrong, it wasn't wrong for Peter to have a roof. But for that moment, Jesus needed that roof gone. For that miracle, Jesus needed that roof gone. All that you thought, how you thought life would go, how you thought ministry may go, how you thought your family would go, it seems to be changing, shifting. And and really, there's choices to be made in your life. Because unlike Peter, we don't necessarily have the crowd there hindering us. And you and I know that it's very easy for us to all of a sudden when the roof starts coming apart and we know that it's God but we don't like it, it's very easy for us to grab some stuff and go up there and patch it back together real quick. Because I don't like that part of what God's wanting to do. You can fight it. You can try to stop it. You can even stop for a moment and say, God, this isn't what should happen. This can't happen. What am I going to do? Where am I going to sleep tonight? I, I got all this stuff that'll happen. If you do this, God, 
the domino effect of everything else. Jesus knew. He knew all that. Peter was, had another choice, the same as you and I. Can let it happen. That's tough. When the roof starts falling in, it's tough to let it happen. But if you do, you might be amazed at what God will do in your life. Let, let, me, let, me, let me put this beyond that. Because it's not be amazed at what God does in my life. You might be amazed at what God does in somebody else's life. Because you allowed your roof to fall in. Who knows what sinner... You're praying for yourself right now, and I know we got to pray for ourselves, but you're, you're praying for yourself right now, what it means to your life, and who knows what person, totally unknown to you, totally disconnected from you, just because of one decision you make to let God have His way in your life, how it can radically affect their life, and their family's life, and their friend's life, and ultimately affect an entire community, because I'm willing to let God do something in my own life and heart, because I'm willing to let him challenge me where it hurts because I'm willing to let him rip into my stability and my protection and my thoughts and plans and dreams and hopes and all of a sudden something begins to happen let me tell you there's ministries in this place untapped they are untapped in this place the roof's got to fall in maybe let me tell you right now, there are pastors in this place. I'll just let you in. I'm like so far over my time that my, my timer's gone to purple or something. I, we're, I'm thankful for what, what's happening in Carlisle. I'm thankful for that. And there, there's, a, there's a website that you can go to about Carlisle. It's, we're AOS. Dot church, Apostolics of Salem, it's AOC.church. It's already there. Let me tell you this. There's five more, I think there's five total we've bought. Apostolics of, of communities around this, around Salem. They're already bought. You know what it needs? It needs someone saying, you know what, I'm willing to go. We already got your website for you. It's there. You know what that's going to mean? I can't do that. Can't do that. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what's going to take place. You know what? Why don't you just let the roof, if it's God, just let the roof fall in and see what He'll do in your life. There's leaders that are sitting here right now that God, I know God has been dealing with your hearts. I know that God has been doing something in your life. And, and I know the struggle. I know, that, I know what it's like to stand there and watch the roof fall in. And there's nothing you can do about it. But here's what it comes down to. It's going to require letting God have His way in your life. God is pushing and prodding and touching in hearts in different ways. And the fight's there. The problem's there. The struggle is there. But I'm here to encourage you to allow God to have His way in your life. That there's people that are waiting for you they are waiting for you to do what God 
has called you to do. There's young people that, that, that the schools are waiting for you to do what God has called you to do. There's places of work that there's people there waiting on you to just let the roof fall in. And I know this may not work and I may know I, lo- I may lose reputation. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But there's people that could leave amazed at what God is doing. If I simply say, Lord, I'm going to step back. I know the roof's falling in, but I'm going to trust you that you've got it in control, that you know what you're doing as we stand this morning. You see, it was Peter. We know that his roof fell in. But it's not too long later that Jesus stands before him and gives him keys to something new. See, that house that you've built, that you think, man, I've put so much time and effort and energy into, how can I let it go to waste? He's got keys for something far better. He's got keys to a ministry he wants to give. If you're just willing to let what you've constructed, and it may not be wrong, but, but God's challenging you. He's got keys to a new ministry. He's got keys to a new anointing. He's got keys to something powerful. And, and, and you feel it, and you know something's happening. I'm, I'm challenging you this morning. I'm challenging you this morning to simply come to this altar and lift your hands and say, Lord, I'm I'm praying a dangerous prayer. But Lord, whatever you want to do in my heart, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, Lord, whatever you want to do through me, whatever you want to do through my family, Lord, I'm making this dangerous prayer of, Lord, I'm willing for you to do whatever you want to do in my life. Oh, come on, this altar is open this morning. Maybe, maybe this is one of your first times here. Maybe it doesn't matter. You can still come and say, Lord, I want you to do something in my life. You don't have to have the Holy Ghost. You, don't have, you can just say, Lord, I want you to do something in my life today. Oh, come on, I know there's people all over this place. Come on, that's the prayer to make. You may not leave with an answer, but right now, I just want you to pray that prayer. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want. Lord, if it means the roof has fallen in. Lord, I know that's a difficult prayer. Lord, I know it means leaving stability. Lord, I know that that leaves things unfinished and and, and things open-ended. But Lord, I'm willing to do whatever I can for your kingdom. Because it's not about my house. It's about your kingdom, Lord. Oh, come on, God is challenging us to be kingdom-minded, to see beyond our own, uh, our own little world, to see beyond our own things that we have going on. And He wants us to look up because the fields are white. The fields are ready to be harvested.